0: Lawmakers are planning to pass a short-term stopgap government funding bill to give themselves more time to negotiate both a comprehensive spending deal as well as a COVID relief package.
1: We're about two months late and a trillion dollars short uh, to help millions of Americans. I'm Catherine Tully McManus, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Monday, December 7, 2020. The end of the year is always crunch time on Capitol Hill for deal-making, and this year is no different. Lawmakers are trying to come to agreement on how to fund the government and just how much aid is needed to relieve some of the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The current stopgap measure that is funding the government runs out this week, and another continuing resolution is expected, which would move the deadline for a real full-length deal to December 18th. And what is the holdup on more coronavirus aid? Talks on a bipartisan package keep getting stuck. Later, we'll discuss President-elect Biden's picks for key health positions in his administration with Mary Ellen McIntyre. But first, CQ Roll Call's budget tracker, David Lerman, is here to give us an update on those end-of-year deals in Congress. Welcome, David.
2: Thanks. Good to be here
1: what is the latest on this pandemic aid package? What are the stumbling blocks and what path do you see forward?
2: Well, the the brightest ray of hope here is this bipartisan plan that's still coming together. There's at least 10 senators from both parties and a like number of House members. Both parties uh, have been pitching this bipartisan deal that is at least getting looked at from leaders. Democratic leaders have said it should be the basis for new negotiations. They made a splash last week by presenting sort of an outline of their deal, but they're still trying to put that into legislative language, and they're getting some hiccups. And the bill is still not released yet. They're still trying to draft something. It's taking longer than they wanted. And the biggest hang-up we're hearing today seems to be this issue, this top priority of Republicans, to provide liability protection for employers uh, from any COVID-related lawsuits. Um, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, has been adamant for months that that has to be part of any coronavirus deal, um, and and they're still pushing hard for that. The bipartisan plan thought they had some sort of compromise in place that called for sort of some kind of short-term moratorium against lawsuits, and then it would give states time to draft their own responses to it. They had very vague language in a summary. But now there seems to be hiccups as to what that means and and how that would come together. And that's always been a partisan flash put. If they can't resolve that, that could hold up a deal.
1: Well, the year is quickly coming to a close. Eventually, Congress will go home, either for the holidays or for the new year, if they don't get a deal on COVID relief by the end of the year, what would that mean for the new Congress and the incoming Biden administration?
2: Well, I I actually bet they will get some kind of deal. There's just so much political pressure now on both parties to produce something. And both sides want a deal desperately. This has been going on for months. The pressure of the election is past them. They really want to both sides say they they don't want to go home for Christmas and not have any covid relief to show for it. So I tend to think it's going to there's going to be something it's just a question of how big it is. This bipartisan plan of is 908 billion dollars. Uh that's less than what Democrats want. They wanted over 2 trillion dollars. It's a lot more than Republicans wanted, which was about 500 billion dollars. But that's a pretty good middle ground it seems to me and they and both both sides had sort of been okay with that overall top line figure. So it's a matter of working out all this legislative language. I tend to think we'll see something. It will be just merged for lack of time. They're just going to attach it to the year-end spending deal that's needed to fund the government, but they'll probably be able to push something through. If they don't, um, then under President-elect Biden, there's going to be an even greater push for coronavirus aid. There's going to be there's going to be a push for that anyway next year. And and Biden has made it clear that that he sees whatever Congress is able to pass this month, that'll only be a start, he said. There's, there's no question in his mind that we're going to need a much bigger package next year. So there's at least two bites of this apple, if not more. I tend to think we'll see something within the next week or so. Um, and I would tend to bet it gets passed, but stranger things have happened. And if if it doesn't pass, uh, we're looking at probably several trillion dollars uh, early next year in coronavirus relief, I think.
1: Thank you so much, David.
2: Okay, thanks. Good to be here.
1: President-elect Joe Biden formally announced his healthcare team on Monday, naming his choice for Health and Human Service Secretary and six other people, who would guide the nation and the administration through the COVID-19 pandemic. The formal announcement came one day after a source had already told CQ Roll Call that Biden planned to nominate California Attorney General Javier Becerra as HHS Secretary. Mary Ellen McIntyre, healthcare reporter for CQ Roll Call, is here to walk us through Biden's selections and what they signal about the incoming administration's approach. Welcome, Mary Ellen.
0: Hi, KTM. Thanks for having me.
1: But Sarah is an interesting choice for HHS, since there was also chatter about him possibly being an Attorney General candidate and about other positions he could fill in the administration. He hasn't held a top health care position before, and taking the helm at HHS in the middle of a pandemic is a huge job. What is he bringing to the table for the Biden administration?
0: Yeah, being the HHS secretary is a huge job. You know, at any point in time, they have a huge budget. It's a huge um, federal agency with tons of sub agencies. Um, But he is bringing someone who is a longtime fixture in D.C. He was a congressman for 24 years, 12 terms. He sat on the Ways and Means Committee and on the Health Subcommittee during the passage of the 2010 health care law known as the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Um, he has in the last several years been the attorney general of California, as you said. And in that role, one of the real focuses that he's had is on healthcare. And specifically, he's been um a outspoken democratic voice pushing back on the healthcare policies of the Trump administration. So probably the most prominent one is that Becerra has sort of led the coalition of democratic state officials. Um who have been defending the healthcare law, the ACA, in court um, after the Trump administration sided with some conservative state officials who sued to overturn the law. So Becerra has really been a leader and out front in that effort for Democrats. Um, and that's gotten him a lot of attention. But Becerra has also um, pushed back via the courts in his current role on other. Trump administration policies, including on reproductive rights and discrimination in the healthcare system, as well as more locally in California, he's targeted um, hospital consolidation efforts um, and other issues on the healthcare scene. So while he's not necessarily someone from a traditional health background, he's someone who has really made healthcare portfolio um, and is coming to the position in sort sort of a different background than we've seen in some other health officials. I will say his legal background is probably going to be helpful um, for him, especially if Republicans control the Senate and the Biden administration is trying to muscle through a lot of their health health policy um, efforts and health reforms through regulations. Um, having someone with that legal background could be helpful for him um, in that this position.
1: That's interesting. Not a traditional background, but maybe in the path going forward for the Biden administration, a, a helpful background. Who else is on this list that the Biden team released? Who are these other officials that will be taking the helm on healthcare?
0: So my biggest takeaway from this list, and this is probably you know the first of the healthcare lists that we're seeing, um, notably not announced is. Biden's nominee to lead the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which um, is a big role in HHS overseeing the Medicare and Medicaid programs, as well as um, healthcare.gov and the insurance exchanges set up under the ACA. But the rest of the names that um, President-elect Biden announced this morning are really the people who you are going to be seeing taking a leading role under the Biden administration in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. So One person who is already very familiar to people is um, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's going to be staying on in his position, a career position, at the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, um, leading that, um, as he has done for several presidents. But he's also going to be taking a more elevated role as President-elect Biden's chief medical officer on COVID-19 issues. As well, we're going to have Dr. Vivek Murthy. He is returning to his role, or will be nominated to return to his role as the Surgeon General, which is the position he held during the Obama administration from 2014 to 2017. This is someone who has been advising Biden throughout the campaign and the transition on COVID-19. And you can probably anticipate that he'll have sort of a bigger portfolio, a bigger platform during this upcoming stint as Surgeon General than he did um, in his previous go-around. Another um, big name that was announced is Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She has been nominated to serve as the Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She's um, a Harvard Medical School professor, as well as the Chief of Infectious Diseases at Mass General Hospital in Boston. Similar to um, Dr. Fauci and some of the other health officials that are currently guiding um, the U.S. and these federal agencies through the pandemic. Um, Dr. Walensky also kind of got her start in public health as an HIV/AIDS researcher. So that's sort of a trend line that we've seen, including from Fauci, the current CDC director Robert Redfield, and Dr. Deborah Burks, the um, White House Coronavirus Task Force coordinator. You also have you know three more people who are going to be that he announced that are going to be focused on COVID nineteen. So Marcella Nunez-Smith, she's going to be serving as the COVID-19 equity task force chair. This is someone who, you know, will be in a white house position is not going to require Senate confirmation, but she's going to be leading sort of an effort to looking at how the government is responding to disparities um, within the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, a lot of focus has been put on this year as to how the pandemic is disproportionately hitting um, minority populations like Latinos and African Americans more So she'll be sort of guiding this task force, looking at that issue. She's currently a co-chair of President-elect Biden's COVID-19 Transition Advisory Board. Um, The final two announcements are Jeff Zients. He is going to be the coordinator of the COVID-19 response and counselor to the president. Um, Jeff Zients had was sort of brought in in 2013 um, during the Obama administration when they first rolled out healthcare.gov. That's the Exchange system set up by the ACA um, where people can go and buy health insurance during open enrollment. Um, So he's kind of going to be coming in logistically managing sort of the federal government's response to the pandemic. And then Natalie Quillion will be the deputy um, for that COVID 19 response effort. Um, And she is a national security expert and a former White House and Pentagon senior advisor. Um, who you know played a role um during the Obama Obama Biden administration responding to the opioid epidemic. So they will be, you know, sort of rounding out this team of advisors and officials who will be leading the White House and administration's response to the pandemic.
1: So those are some familiar names and some who those outside of the healthcare world might not be familiar with. How are people in the health policy arena, whether it be experts or physicians or interest groups, how are they responding to this lineup?
0: Yeah, so, you know, broadly, I think a lot of healthcare groups are responding well, you know, they, you've seen a lot of statements from health interest groups and trade groups in the healthcare sector, you know, praising these picks, saying they're going to work with Becerra to expand healthcare. Um, You know, I think that a lot of these groups see someone and see Javier Becerra as someone who You know, is trying to expand what they do. They're not going to, you know, get along with him all the time. But they're certainly not going to come out and bash his nomination, as this is someone who they're going to need to work with in the next few years. A lot of public health types, public health officials, you know, are really praising um, President Elect Biden's public health announcements. um, You know, kind of the idea that he's, you know, bringing science back, um, which is something that you know they've pushed back as the Trump administration hasn't always necessarily followed what they consider the best science um, in their approach to the pandemic. You have seen some pushback um, from conservative groups. So for example, um, in the reproductive health space, some pro-life groups have already pushed back on Becerra's um, record on pro-life issues um, for them. So that is something to continue to watch as his confirmation process gets ready. And you've seen a couple of Republicans who have also noted that Becerra has in the past supported Medicare for all the policy that would establish a single payer health care system in the United States. Um, this is something that he has, you know, spoken favorably of in the past. However, President elect Biden has been pretty vocal against Medicare for all instead backing, expanding health insurance coverage through a public option. Um, so I don't think that that's something that Sarah will necessarily be leading into um, as his confirmation process heats up in the coming weeks.
1: These nominees and appointments—they seem to all have a public health background or uh, academic background. How do those choices from the Biden administration compare to Trump administration officials who have held these same roles over the past four years?
0: I think that you know one of the main focuses here is you're looking here at officials who. Have consistently, especially on the public health side, you know, been outspoken um, about following best practices and guidance in the pandemic um, in a way that the current officials. So I'm thinking someone like Dr. Robert Redfield, who you know had long time worked in the public health space. He's leading the CDC currently, but the CDC has sort of been at odds with the White House in a lot of ways um, in the past couple of months as they've sort of tried to navigate um, sort of the political dynamics that have been coming along with the pandemic. So I think that these are people who President-elect Biden is going to enable to really do their job and focus. He's going to focus sort of on their expertise in a way that President Donald Trump hasn't necessarily, you know, always tried to highlight. This is what the CDC director is saying is a best practice, even if that's something that the public health agencies had agreed with the CDC on.
1: Very interesting. Thank you so much, Mary Ellen. Thank you. That's it for us today. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The Transition.